If you're looking for a clean, sober, professional, academic, well-researched, historically accurate, generally accurate, serious podcast on Southern folklore, ghosts, bizarre events, and unique people, this podcast is not for you. However, if you've decided you can live with that, then join us for The Strange South. Be um, drunky. Yes. I'm like, oh, I'm feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, whiskey and triple sec. Whiskey. <laughs> Yee. Hi, Marleya. Hi, Patrice. Second episode in, in the, the pod, pod basement. basement. <laughs> and it's that time. It's that time. It's nice outside. It is gorgeous outside. We just got the heads up from our, our favorite local weatherman that tornado season is officially over. Yay! And Bring hurricane on season hurricane. hasn't started yet. <laughs> so you have two weeks. That's right. Two weeks. Enjoy two it now. Two weeks to not fear. <laughs> Though I will say, okay, here's the thing that's really gotten me. The mosquitoes have been insane. I think I mentioned this at my house because I live in the woods. Correct. And they're like almost a little bit better right now than they were like a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. But I started thinking, I don't know if I was drunk when I was thinking this, <laughs> but I think I was a genius because I started thinking... <laughs> Why is there not like a revolution chew that people oh, can people? eat to stop mosquitoes from biting us? I think because it's pretty toxic and we probably shouldn't be giving it to our dogs. No, don't say things like okay. that. I actually met a guy in CVS while my kid was having her shot that told me that he had taken ivermectin and it knocked his COVID out completely. <laughs> oh, He's like, my wife is a nurse and she said I was crazy. And I was like, yes, sir. God, yes, yes sir. <laughs> I'm glad wife. you didn't go to the hospital, sir. <laughs> That's right. Stand back from my children, <laughs> sir. Stop talking to me, sir. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, speaking of that CVS, we pulled up to the CVS yesterday and it's the first time. Well, I've never been into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the only place that right now you can get vaccines for the 12 to 15 year olds. And I pulled up, and my son goes, uh, is this where it's at? He's like, this looks sketchy as crap. <laughs> I was what? like, well. It's right next to a car wash and a huddle house. <laughs> it's like, yes, the adults got, you know, the whole, like, shebang with, you know, the EMTs there and, like, this, you know, like, 14 person staff to show you which line to get in for the vaccine vaccines and the uh kids are sketchy cvs <laughs> with sorry kiddo i don't know how your experience went but ours we had a very very sweet person administer the vaccine she's very kind she had trouble though like mm. with the system and then at the end she's like okay well i i don't like to just let people go after this if you wouldn't mind you know maybe stick around 15 minutes and i was like yeah yeah and she's like and then check back in before you leave that'd be great and i'm like no that'd be like the legal way to give this shot right (laughs) the minimum that you need to do for this shot but she i think it's just because she's one of those soft-spoken people and i think she just you know maybe doesn't want to tell people what to do but i was just like no dude you just tell me well i mean you did have like sketchy man talking to you about taking um (laughs) stuff yeah, so there you go. There you there go. you go. Oh man, no, we had lady that I'm like, uh, are you sure you took the vaccine? I don't think she took the vaccine because she was looking at me like, uh, 
you know, questioning me, like, why am I giving the vaccine? She had that look in her eye, like, why are you vaccinating your child? The person giving the vaccine? Mm-hmm. <laughs> She oh, did. God. She's like, we, and she's sitting there like in front of my child. This is the thing that I cannot stand is people who give shots. You have to know that mm-hmm. the children are sitting right there. Okay. Mm-hmm. First thing that you do not do is you do not say, well, this needle is a little bit bigger than the one that we usually give. <gasps> first of all, we've had that problem when getting the flu oh, shot. No. And I literally had to peel my child off the ceiling because he was he's like, picturing like a seven foot he's, long needle. He is thinking of like a horse needle. Yeah. You know, kind of deal. Because it's all relative. When you say big needle, like, he already knows it's big. But you say big needle. And he's thinking, well, just take my arm. (laughs) Just take it. (laughs) And then she starts talking about, well, we don't really know how children are going to react to the vaccine. And I'm like, whoa. Except it's approved and there have been lots of studies that tell us that. he's basically a young adult anyway, almost. I mean, he's... know big kid so yeah um shut the fuck up and just (laughs) give me the vaccine give me the shot (laughs) keep your opinions to yourself (laughs) because you know science oh my gosh uh well we got it done but we got ever the method cheers yes cheers 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 to us doing our part and we and you too and you too cheers to you doing your part all right I have a random, while you're drinking that, something that I found this week, and I cannot suddenly remember why, but Courtney would know if she was here, but she's not here, Mm -hmm. that we found out that you're never supposed to say thank you for plants when people gift you plants. Did you find that out ever? Do you ever hear that? Why? It will kill them. There's like a, and it's a, it's a really Southern like tradition that you're not supposed to say thank you when somebody gives you a plant because it'll kill the plant. What do you say? Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck you for giving me plants. That's what I say. <laughs> like, because it's dead. As soon as you hand it over, you, its days are numbered. <laughs> oh, my gosh. She's going to kill me because I can't remember who taught us that. Maybe it was Chad. I don't know. I don't know who taught us that. Oh, but wow. it was just in the past week, and she had never heard it either. It was yeah. a thing, which is, that's always a shocker for I'm me. I'm going to call bullshit. <laughs> Well, you know, it's a it's a superstition. It's, it's a super yeah, yeah. You know, that's interesting. Um, I'd be curious to know the background of that. Maybe we'll look that up and put it on the page. Oh, I'm gonna write myself a note to right do that, now. y'all. If you have not actually been visiting the website, the strange south dot com, <laughs> then you need to because that's where we put all the good shit. Uh, that pictures are we all have there pictures there we have the recipes for the drinks we have a map for where all this shit happens so that you can actually see you know visually where these stories are that we're talking about mm-hmm. so there's a lot of really good stuff on the website so if you just happen to be on the web uh go over and check out the website uh, you can actually listen to all the episodes directly from the website you don't have to have a podcast uh, app or anything like that it, they are all on the website and this is our 83rd episode Ooh. so you know plenty of episodes there good stuff good stuff and you'll get a. I mean if you've signed up for the newsletter at any point in the past you might start getting those again because i kind of remembered that i'd stop doing them so um <laughs> hi we're in it to win it <laughs> oh my god at least i'm 
honest about my feelings. Um, <laughs> good stuff. Good well, stuff. okay. So, like I said, uh, we are. Well, uh, Patrice made a lovely drink for yes. us today. Yes. Yes. Okay. So this is called the Southern Bell. And I can definitely tell you, I'm not going to tell you the origins of it because it has to do with my story, but it is definitely a Southern Belle. Uh, main ingredients is pineapple. So pineapple, mm. a little bit of orange juice, whiskey, and triple sec. And Whiskey uh, and pineapple goes together really well. I'm yes, kind of shocked. Yes, it does. And um, there is a story, of course, behind this, and we will get into it while we're drinking it but it's one of those drinks and as soon as you know where it comes from you'll be like well oh yeah um it it hits you yeah I can feel it, it I can feel it too I'm over here sweating a little bit <laughs> <laughs> I'm feeling it real good but um yeah you have to like pineapple a lot though um it is kind of a girly pineapple sweet drink it'd be great for like beach time yes southern bell and that's the time we're in guys we're getting on to beach time right um yeah well we've got one of one of our one of our own is enjoying beach time right now and she asked if we could call her and see if we could like patch her in so i was gonna try and call her and put her on speaker and it may sound like shit so if this is followed by silence you will know that we cut it out (laughs) And moved on to other things. So I'm calling her now. Okay, awesome. And we're going to see. I turn it up all the way. Oh, that's very quiet. No, I can hear it. Though. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. Where's the speaker? Is it the top? I think it's. I'll stick it up here. The speaker's You know bottom. where my ear goes? No. No, the, yeah. That would make more sense. <laughs> see? Pineapple. Hello? Oh, I hear the beach behind you. Oh, she can't hear me if I hold it like that. What? <laughs> you're on speaker? Yes, you're on speaker. Am I on the show? You are. Yeah. You got Renee and Axel with us. Renee's running away. She's afraid to be on the show. Oh, well, we're friendly. We're so nice. Hey, don't be afraid. We're so nice. We are so nice. And if she They're sucks, really we'll just nice. cut her off. <laughs> you know, at least one of them. <laughs> oh, yeah, they've got my they've got my Jolene's little baby boy there. Mm. Yes, it's Axel. He is running on the beach. There are dog there's a lot of dogs at this island, so we're letting him run loose on the beach. He's being good though. He's been very good. Oh, he's so much better than his mama. <laughs> he's really She got good. no manners. She got no manners. Is there- is there a lot of wind in this call? I feel like the wind is blowing through the phone. No, <laughs> it sounds good, actually. I can hear oh, it, though. Good. It's nice because it's like, because you're on the beach. Yeah, you're, it's giving atmosphere. I'm on a beach. Sorry, y'all. Lame. Let's do this together. No, it's so good. <laughs> so who made drinks? Who made drinks? Patrice without made drinks. <laughs> she said, without me. Yeah. And you would totally approve. <laughs> Can you hear uh, her? What? Yeah. <laughs> it's a little sweet for you. Yeah. It's, it's, oh, okay. it's definitely. Not person, it's really good, though. It's pineapple, orange juice, triple sec, and uh, and whiskey. Pineapple, orange juice, triple sec, and whiskey. Triple sec whiskey. So, okay. Because I was thinking grenadine. There's that there's too. Some, there's some in it, yes. Oh, so it's like a tequila sunrise without tequila? And with whiskey. 
with, with whiskey. Exactly. It's a whiskey sunrise. It's called a Southern Belle, and it goes with my story. Tequila sunrise, I must say. Yeah, she did. You hear Patrice? She said it goes with her story. There's a whiskey sunrise story. It's called a Southern Belle. Maybe that's what her story is about. A Southern Belle. Yeah. I have taken some videos and some photos here from Defusky Island in South Carolina. So I will share them on the show. Are they uh, creepy? Yeah, I mean, we drove out this long. So you can't drive here. You have to, like, take a ferry, and then you get on golf carts once you're here and drive around in golf carts, which is good because we've been drinking a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Ten miles an hour. <laughs> They can still pull so, you over on a golf cart, can't they? So not one. I got us home, but I'm not going to lie. I don't really know how. But we made it. Uh, somehow, he's playing with the dogs. Come on. You want to put him on? And uh, so today, today we did the tour of all the uh, historic places. And I went to a cemetery. I took video. They like, have a... Gravestones from the 1700s. Oh, wow. Yeah, 1700s. So, this place was settled. Oh, I don't know how long ago. Well, I mean, there's been people here for thousands of years, but it was settled. And then, uh, this is where the Gullah Geechee people live. Cool. Some Gullah Geechee people live. Mm-hmm. So, there's Gullah houses and uh, pictures of that. Awesome. Yeah. It's a, it's deserted. It's a real chill lifestyle out here. Everybody on a golf cart waving. Is I mean, this, how can you be like her? aggro on the golf cart though? <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> I don't know. There's only one convenience store and two restaurants. Well, maybe three restaurants. So, uh, if you don't have anything, you're you're kind of you're kind of fucked. <laughs> <laughs> You, you have to see. Call, you gotta call in a grocery delivery or pay. Like, okay, we saw a guy yesterday at the one convenience store, and uh, he said he carried out a like a thirty-two pack of Michelob Ultra, and he said he paid fifty-five dollars. <gasps> oh, bring your own That's shit. That's a sin. Yeah. Don't, don't run out of beer here. Is what I'm talking about. Now, oh my they God. do have a distillery. Those prices are pretty sweet. I'll be bringing home some Ooh. some things from that. Oh, yeah, nice. there's some rum. It's called a rum distillery, but they had other things, so nice. I'll some of that. They made drinks, too, but they were closed today. I wish I would have gotten more. Everything's closed on Sunday, and people are just like, hey, we might be open tomorrow. We might not. That's just how it is. <laughs> so I went to this, like, Bloody Point Lighthouse yesterday at, like, 445, and she's like, I'm closing up, even though it closes at 5. And so we were like, are you open tomorrow? And she goes, I don't know. They haven't told me yet. <laughs> so then we go to look for it today. And we go out to this beach. And there she is, like, coming in from the beach. And we were like, are you going to be open today? And she was like, no, they never told me to be. <laughs> <laughs> so it's that kind of place. Like, you no, need maybe, to... maybe we will, maybe we won't. I feel I like know. you need to live there. I feel like this is a very... Frankie. It's pretty lucky, man. And right now, yeah, somebody left this big hole and the turtles are going to fall in it. Wait, what? You're supposed to <laughs> fill in your sandcastles. Like, you're not supposed to leave your lights on at night because it's a uh, sea turtle season. Oh. So you're supposed to turn mm. off your lights. And uh, if you build sandcastles or dig holes, you're supposed to fill them in so the turtles can 
well, do their, you know, do their if anything, so that Renee's doing a service to the turtles filling in this hole. Oh, that's good. I was going to say, if we've learned anything from COVID, is that people do not do what they're supposed to do. <laughs> <laughs> no, they don't. <laughs> they don't. It's been pretty good out here, though. Most everything's outside, so we really haven't been inside except to convenience stores. The distillery mandated masks. Good. They sold them if you didn't have one, but there was no like there was. Were they forty dollars? <laughs> no, they were one dollar. Oh, okay. They should. They could have been making his, a killing on that. forgot his, so we bought him a one dollar mask, and uh, they made a drink. Um, what did they call that drink, Renee? Did they have a name for it? Well, it was made from their vodka, which is a uh, blueberry lavender and ooh, lemonade. Ooh. They used like a. You know, they use like a two-liter lemonade, so let's just say that's going to be in our future real soon, but some hand-squeezed lemons. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, we can do that. They, they can, broke out yeah. the country time, huh? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm not going to – I knew you liked the country time, Patrice. I didn't want to diss on your, like, uh, whiskey sours, but – You know what? Let's that's... just say I've been squeezing – I've squeezed six pounds of limes in the last six days. <laughs> between you the know, party I had last weekend and this trip. You could have, like, saved all that squeezing with some country time. <laughs> <laughs> just dump it out in that pack. Ain't nobody gonna know the difference. If you get drunk enough, you can taste it. You only need it for the first two anyway. Mm. Axel, is that Byron? Oh, <laughs> he started running, running like a marathon runner down the beach, and it's Byron. He's running after him. Okay, I, mean, I can't even tell it's Byron. <laughs> Uh, Guys, y'all have fun tonight. I miss y'all. You too. We miss you. We'll see you for the next one. I love you. Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. I'll see you next week. Okay, bye. Bye. (laughs) I want to be on the beach. No, I don't. I do. I want to be on the beach. I I want to be near the beach. Mm. I do not want to be anywhere where sand is. <laughs> You're like Randy. I I just I I don't Mm-mm. like sand in my pieces parts. That's just it. And all it takes is like one foot on sand, it's and it's true. in my pieces parts. It's I don't true. know how that happens. But I will sit there and obsess about where sand is located on my body, and I don't enjoy myself. Oh, that made my day. So put me in a pool by the beach. One of the best vacations I had was literally, like, at a place on the beach that served me drinks mm-hmm, by the pool. Mm-hmm. That was the Those best. Those are the places to go. It's yes. true. It's and, true. And, you know, I made the trek and then, you know, spent two hours trying to get sand <laughs> Cleaning out of, yourself of parts <laughs> and clothing and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, no, I'm just going to, we're just going to sit here in a nice clean pool and let everybody deal with that because it never fails. It's like, I get sand on my pieces parts and then I step on shit. Like the last time I stepped on a literal, um, fishing line and it went through my heel. Like I had to pull it out of my flesh and shit like that happens to me every single time I go to the beach. And so I just, 
I don't enjoy it. I, don't I think this it. is why Coco now told told us like this year that she has a fear of open waters and she no longer wants because she's gotten stung by jellyfish mm-hmm. at the beach. She's she watched me get like bit by a crab. She <laughs> crab it killed me, literally ate me alive. And um, she just wants to sit in the pool. She's like, yeah. I just I don't I don't me have, and I don't need anything Coco to do with the rest can just of the shit. Chill like with our little floaties at the pool. Mm-hmm. Y'all can go deal with sand and crab and stepping. We should things. vacation together. <laughs> we really should. <laughs> exactly. All right. Okay. Onward. Onward. All right. Last thing before we start our stories is we love emails and we, yes. we, we got an email, you know, earlier from somebody who found out that they were related to the only woman that was um, electrocuted. Uh, yes. In, Tony Joe Henry in right, Louisiana. In yeah, Louisiana. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, by the way, and, and we love like those connections and we're going to find those connections because a lot of the things that we talk about, I mean, a lot of people that live in the South have lived here for generations. Mm -hmm. And um, we got a email from Reagan and she said, big fan of the show. She said, while listening to episode 80, the name Albert Patterson caught her attention during the Phoenix city story that I did. And it was actually like, it's a name that's in their family. And you know, she started making these connections and she actually found out that she is related to Albert Patterson, the DA that was assassinated in Phoenix City. So cool. And um, she's like, how can I lived here? She's like, I've lived in this area for so long. You're like, same thing, you know, uh, people have lived there, her people have lived there for generations and all of this happened and she, nobody's ever talked about it to her. And she said that, um, you know, one of her relatives was actually in high school in the 1920s, and Albert uh, Patterson was the principal of that high school there, and that he even babysat um, for his two oldest, um, Albert's two oldest children. So it's like really weird because all of a sudden the story that we were talking about, Sin City, here in Alabama, like really like struck home at like how close. Like her family was actually part, you know, mm-hmm. of this community and knew of, you know, these people. So that is like really freaking crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, on another, like I've been starting to pick up some genealogy stuff because I love, I love stories, obviously. Mm-hmm. I love stories and I love photographs, old photographs. And that's mainly that's what so I'm cool. into like genealogy for. I'm, I'm tracking, um, maternal lines and stories because I know like one of my relatives was like a medicine woman and and and, like just really cool things I don't know much about my father's side of the family and I didn't think I really had much to do with anything in Alabama uh let me just say uh I have a lot to do with people in Alabama in fact my on my father's side a long line of people living in um Clayton Clayton County, Clay- mm-hmm. Clayton Clay County, City. Clayton. No, not Clayton. Anyway, uh, kind of southeast, uh, just like right below Phoenix City. Oh. And sorry, I forget the name of this, the town. I just, the reason I say Clayton, because it was like Clayton um, paper that 
back in like the 20s read like freaking Facebook. <laughs> and I found out so like I found out information my dad didn't even know about. And it was so crazy because I literally from this one newspaper and everybody being such a nosy busybody <laughs> in this in the social papers, right? I found um that, you know, we had like three or four generations that lived in that area and I found like my direct Scottish ancestor who came over from Scotland in like the 1700s and settled in that area oh wow and like built up you know that town cool and stuff which is yeah I was like my dad was like shit (laughs) (laughs) we didn't we didn't know any of this so it's crazy so um that's one of the things i love about this podcast is is finding those connections like i'm always like in my research uh always looking for that connection that i'm like related to some son of a bitch (laughs) murderer or some crazy i'm always looking for the good i want to like be like related to like the cool people like everybody does but we we know that a lot of times that's not how it works (laughs) But, uh, yeah, so that was a really cool, uh, email. Thanks, Reagan, for, um, writing in. And yeah, thank know. you. And, you know, cool. Now you get to, like, have a part of history, like, Southern history, um, knowing that that person, um, was associated with your family. Cool. Cool. All right. Who's going first today? I don't know know either i need to look at the website i do too that's the best i can do to figure it out the website is very informational y'all we even like go back to it a lot we do i've actually had to look at it as i was prepping this story this week because i was trying to figure out if i'd already talked about the thing that i'm talking about oh yes i think you actually go first i go first i will go first <clears throat> okay gonna be nice and like lit <laughs> you are gonna be lit by the time because i'm feeling lit now i got half of this thing down mm-hmm. so i am telling the story of cicadas today <laughs> the story Yay! in three parts because <laughs> y'all know i love bugs and things um but it's weird because like uh i mean if you listen to any news or look at any sort of i mean you you're hearing about cicadas right now right. everybody is talking about the brood x brood 10 that is emerging i mean as we record it's already emerged in tennessee and georgia for sure right and i haven't heard them i think it's still pretty early for i haven't heard them here and i don't know how much we're going to get here it's going to mm. it's prime it's going to be a lot of them north of here, I think by a little bit. Right. And my friends in Virginia are getting them already Mm. and Maryland. And so, but you know, they're not out at full strength yet, but you know, everybody's been talking about the brood that's coming. Right. So, and I remember when I was a kid and we were living in Newport news, Virginia, I remember like starting to get this fascination with cicadas because I would, I was like sitting there waiting for my mom to take me to the pool. I was like four and just sitting on the steps and looking down at my beach towel and there's like a like a little cicada shell that had just been like left right or they they cling to you too yeah I mean it sticks to you know that's like that's how they're made so it's like I started getting obsessed with finding these like paper thin little shells with nothing inside them always took them off trees oh I know they were all over trees you'd Mm -hmm. find them on your picnic table you'd find them on your like carport and they would like 
it's like a, a lot of people they kind of freak you out but you also just are sort of fascinated with them maybe i don't i am mm-hmm. but my kid is super fascinated with to the point that one time she collected like 12 or 15 of them and she left them in my car like she had been collecting them i think at the bus stop when we were waiting to for them to get picked up for school and i didn't realize that she had run back and just dumped them all on the seat so i turned around and there's like this swarm of skeleton bugs watching me um which is pretty terrifying but i also saw one i saw a cicada come out of its shell while i was really really hungover waiting for my uh my wedding rehearsal to start because (laughs) we got married out of like not around where we live or anything like that so everybody was only together for a couple days before the wedding so we went and did bachelor and bachelorette parties two nights before the wedding oh man and i got sicker than i have ever probably gotten Mm. maybe not but pretty close Mm -hmm. like i threw up in my best friend's like hotel room Mm. and uh and so I was like sitting on the ground next to a tree waiting for my rehearsal to start, just staring at this bug, like shedding its shell on a tree. And I was like, I'm sure there's a metaphor. <laughs> there is. This You're is beginning really, a new life. It's really important. <laughs> it's really important. So kind of cool. I mean, not the whole like being hungover part. Being super sick part. <laughs> but like, yeah. So there's this article that I found on the Smithsonian that... <laughs> I just like the title because cicadas are delightful weirdos and you should learn to love them. We do love and them. We like, use them on like our... the rest of us. Yeah, the podcast. All delightful weirdos. I know. Right? It's, we have a shirt with a cicada on, on it. We love you them. Can buy. Yes. But um, So there are 3,400 species of cicada. Wow. This is what I had to look up, though, because I was like, I know that we've talked about some of this before, but I don't think we've talked about it exactly the way I'm talking about it or to the extent so. Anyway, if I'm if I'm being redundant, just shut up. And I don't <laughs> they care. don't remember. We don't remember. They we don't, don't remember. remember. <laughs> so so cicadas, they they hide underground, as I'm sure we've all heard from these news articles we've been hearing. And they usually they come out every two to five years. All these different species, but there are like f- certain broods that come out like they wait a lot longer. So those come out every thirteen to seventeen years, and they don't know why or how their little clock works really like scientists don't they maybe they like prime numbers they're like little math genius bugs or something but um brood x is a 17 year brood and they call it the great eastern brood or the eastern great brood so it'll be if you haven't seen them yet if you're in uh well i'll include the northern states in this too because there are a lot of them delaware georgia illinois indiana kentucky Maryland, Michigan, North Carolina, New Jersey, New York, but eh, maybe Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and DC. And so they cover a pretty wide swath, but there are freaking billions of them in this brood. Um, They last emerged in 2004. And I was sitting here trying to think like, where did I, where was I in 2004? I, I was either in Atlanta or Orlando in 2004. But I see, I don't really remember seeing them or hearing them that year. Um, but, um, you've probably already, like I said, you've probably already seen them coming out. If you live down here, any, any of those States, they're going to be freaking everywhere. Um, and it is no, it is no joke. Um, they're going to like, and I do remember this from when I first moved to Virginia, that they will deafen you. I mean, it's not just like your normal three year, like horde of cicadas. This is like 
a massive. This is not like a nice, gentle serenade. This is no. like death metal rock cicada, right? Exactly. <laughs> um, the Baltimore, what is it? The Baltimore Sun in 2004 ran an article and they called it an incessant treetop warbling and a shrill rasping like a million angry rattlesnakes. <laughs> so they're going to be flying through the air going crazy. They will fall on you. They will bump into your face when you're walking down the street. You will like be trying to have a nice, this is the thing is all these restaurants have these nice, beautiful outdoor spaces yes. to eat. And like, it's will be end be of time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they will land in your cocktail. Um, but they do not bite. They do not sting. They are physically unable to hurt you. No, but they'll scare the shit out of you yes. when you like touch them or they land on you because they vibrate mm -hmm. and the vibration you think rattlesnake. You know, that's, oh, and it's so loud. And it's too. so loud. It's like and really it's, jolting because I've had to carry like my cats love to bring them in and leave them inside. And all of a sudden I hear this buzzing. So now I have to like pick up this buzzing thing mm -hmm. and take it out. It's yeah. Yeah. It's really, it's not, it doesn't naturally go along the lines of what you would do as it's like you had to fight everything in you to yeah, pick them up and you move do. them. You, you do. It is, it is definitely, you're having to fight your instinct. Uh -huh. to, you know. But they, so they, they will stay above ground for like five to six weeks and they come up for one reason. They don't want to hurt you. They don't want to destroy anything. They just want to fuck. It is literally the only <laughs> thing they care about. That is why they are here. That is all they want to do. So like people, they, there was a report in like the, I think it was the 1700s of like, um, Massachusetts Puritans saying that they were being attacked by a biblical plague because they thought that they were all locusts and they were going to come and like kill all the fields and stuff. Uh, okay. And they are not locusts. They're not related to locusts. Apparently really, they don't do the same things. I'm sure these Puritans probably killed some witch over it, but like sure. they were completely wrong. They do not give a shit about your garden. They will maybe hurt your trees because like when they come and lay eggs, they slice little slices of your tree branches and they lay the eggs in the little slices. So if there are so many of them on a certain tree, like sometimes you cannot see the trees for the bugs wow. if you're in the right, like right, wrong place. But, um, you know, it can hurt smaller, weaker trees, but, um, you know, generally they're not going to touch your tomato plants. They actually can't, they can't even eat that stuff. They have like, um, it's like butterflies have like the little straw. The tongue. Yeah. yeah. They don't have like pinchers or teeth or anything so they're not going to eat the garden all they care they about is fucking lick you to death they will lick you and so the males come out and they sing to get girls that's the whole thing they're doing that's why they're so loud it's like all these clicks and whirs and buzzes and trills because apparently like karaoke is effective in the cicada world so they go like balls to the wall karaoke like like bohemian rhapsody like somebody's <laughs> over here like singing chandelier or some shit <laughs> but it's because this is the end of the world because they are about to die so like they live underground for 17 years and they grow and they eat and they do their thing and then they come above ground and then after that five to six weeks they are all gonna drop dead and somebody's gonna have to clean it up but when you're about to die. There's really nothing better to do than right. <laughs> go I mean, fuck somebody. <laughs> they just it. they just want to get laid. So because of all these things, I feel if you're not bug inclined, I would encourage you to leave them alone. Let them live out their sad little existence. Let them. They get have been laid. waiting 17 years for this. So would, just can you not feel for that? You really should be able to feel for that. I mean, 
I mean, if you if that's not the the route you want to take, you could I, you could kill them. They're slow and they appear to be not particularly intelligent. I don't know. You you can just swat them out of the sky if you want to. Right. Um. And they're constantly distracted by sex, so they're just not looking for you. But there are other options for getting rid of them. Um. You could eat them. And that is a legit, like, Native American tribes used to eat cicadas. I'm sure. And Sorry, I can't. they are high protein, low carb. I'm sure. They're they're like a super fruit. They're, <laughs> they're just that, that didn't make it better. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've heard, now, see, there are a couple articles on this. One's National Geographic. One was uh, Washington Post. And again, like Patrice said, all this goes on the show notes. So you'll be able to find all the links. But if you want some recipes, there are some in there. Apparently, if you toss them in salad, they taste a little bit like asparagus. Oh, and- worse. <laughs> oh, my God. And so- no. <laughs> oh, okay. someone, someone actually said, like, you should think of them like crawfish or lobsters because they're all arthropods. You know, they're all related. It's like, it's crawfish kind of the and same. lobsters don't taste like asparagus. <laughs> but listen, listen. Crawfish are called, what are, what are crawfish called? Mudbugs. Mudbugs. They're just, if you just say it the other way, how are they more appetizing than cicadas? They're not really. They're really not, right? <laughs> it's just another name for the same thing. So we could call them like sky shrimp and maybe they'll sound better. I think we should have some sky shrimp. Just stop fooling ourselves that we're not eating mud bugs all those other times. Mm-hmm. So apparently they taste, she's going to throw up y'all. I'm sorry. <laughs> apparently they taste best when they're at the tenoral stage, which is right after they've molted off their little nymphy shells and they're like creamy white and yellow colored creamy. I love that people said they were creamy, but if you want to like our friend Lori taught us this, if you want to kill a bug, you just throw it in the freezer and it will humanely die. Right. And so you just, you know, pluck them out when they're little white creamy boogers and then you throw stop them in the freezer. Stop saying creamy. Just stop. <laughs> just stop. But listen, I almost, if Patrice hadn't already had this cocktail scheduled, I was going to have us make a red eye cocktail and not tell her that there are supposed to be candied cicadas in it because <laughs> it's a National Geographic fucking cocktail recipe for <laughs> a red eye that has vodka and OJ and Campari and vermouth and candied cicadas on a stick. And I almost went and bought asparagus. <laughs> they have they have cupcake recipes that include um, cicadas. You can have them deep fried because, you know, we are what we are. Right. I mean, we deep fry everything. And apparently they're kind of nutty when you deep fry them. That's better than creamy asparagus. <laughs> creamy asparagus. <laughs> Sky shrimpies. But so I also think like, and this, this also, there's, that was the second this is a really fast story. I've also drunk a lot of this. That's fine. That's so fine. I've got like first stage was this is what cicadas are. Mm-hmm. Second stage is this is how you eat them. Mm-hmm. So I've got bugs and food. So my third part is creepy. It's not really creepy, but it's kind of creepy. I don't know. I think it went there with the second part, but go ahead. It is creepy. You're right. It's yeah. a little creepy. So um, the creepy element to this particular cicada horde, and I guess this happens to all cicada hordes, but there are just so many more, is that it's full of fucking zombies. Oh, have you heard about this? No, but I mean, this, we we have our friend Lori, that's yes. the snail lady, and she talks about like zombie parasites. Yes, that's what this is. So if you have never listened to the podcast Science Versus, it's a Gimlet podcast. 
Go listen to Science Versus March episode on Brood X. It's called A Drug-Filled Cicada Orgy. And it's the best possible explanation that you can get. It's the funniest fucking thing I've ever heard. <laughs> so there's this fungus. It's called Massaspora. And it's like, it is apparently the cicada's own, like the only natural predator of the cicada. Like everything else, like foxes can eat them. Birds can eat them. But it's they don't really rely on them. So it's not. Snakes eat them? Snakes, yeah. I mean, anything. And they're, like I said, they're not hard to catch. Mm-hmm. But it's just that, like, they're not always there. So they're not really part of the permanent food chain or anything. Right. So the only predator that specifically relies on this is this weird fungus. And it grows in the soil where the cicadas emerge when they're at the end of this, you know, this period and they're about to come out. And it infects them. And like you said, it's a parasite. So. It lives inside their abdomen and it eats away at them, but it does it while producing an amphetamine that makes them feel like they're high all the time. So, like, how the fuck do they know this? Well, listen, I don't because they tested these cicadas and like the content of this kind of white puffy eraser like thing that grows in place of their but because one of the cool things, one of the most hilarious things about this podcast that I told you to listen to is that they constantly talk about their butts just falling off. And I like the word butt and it makes me laugh because I'm very immature. <laughs> and butts falling off. Is and their pretty butts dumb. fall off. So it lives in their admin and it eats away at all of their parts. And so it just ends up like taking over the back end of. So you'll see the cicada flying around. And if you see one with like an it looks like it's got like a nubby rubber eraser on its butt. That's the fungus. It's a zombie. So um, the thing is, like, they're already super hypersexed, right? Like, all they want to do is go out and mate and die. Hey, ladies. Right? Mm-hmm. And But the fungus knows that the way that it's going to spread its spores is from them singing to mate and from them, like, landing on mates and, you know, taking action and doing all this stuff because it'll spread the spores around when they do all this stuff. So it needs them to feel like energized it needs them to feel like hyped up hyped up like little crack cicadas it turns them into sex zombies so they it's like they're on x right like these little cicadas are like rolling and they're like so it turns them into these little like cicadas are like that guy that's like over in the corner humping an armchair and is not gonna sleep for weeks you know he's just like so it literally it literally replaces their whole butt and it gets replaced by this fungus. So they they it makes them want to have sex, like, even worse than they already do, except that they don't know or don't care that they cannot physically reproduce anymore because their butt is gone. <laughs> so they just... Do they reproduce with their butts? Well, it's like all their genitalia is gone. Oh, everything damn. is gone. And so they can't really do it, but they keep on just running around like horror. everything is fine. <laughs> <laughs> that is horrifying. So... And, and you want to eat that? Well, that's what I was going to say. See, you went straight there. That's so, I was like, the natural thing to think now would be, wait, can I get high if I eat zombies again? <laughs> I was not thinking about that. <laughs> I was thinking more like gross. I, don't I wouldn't, wouldn't want to eat. I wouldn't want to eat zombie fungus at no. all. And so like, the, but there was, there was actually an article from the Zombie Research Society that was called Please Don't Eat Zombie Bugs to Get High. 
Oh my god! <laughs> it was from 2019, and so the story we is have, we have to go there because you know I know right people it right <laughs> I know it's apparently you would have to eat like dozens of infected cicadas in a very short amount of time to get high from the fungus that they are infected with. Um, like the thing is, there are there are psychoactive chemicals in this fungus. It's like eating shrooms. Like some of the psychoactive chemicals are the same, but there's other chemicals in the fungus too. People. There are toxins in the fungus, and there are things in the fungus that may impact your daily life. So, and if you, and yeah, if you eat like that, which I, oh, it just, I think you've you've dropped to a level. Uh, you're never going to be the same. No, <laughs> it, it, the, the whole as soon as she said uh, fungus, it reminds me of video game that I played, Last of Us, which that is like comes up all the time. Best video game ever. Yes. Um. But yeah, I mean, into the world and it's fungus zombies. And that's the, that was the other thing that I was like, as soon as I read all this, I was like, wait, so like, could we get turned into zombies by a fungus? <laughs> like, oh, was our butts I, got, fall I got really concerned <laughs> because see, you look up these things and it's not just cicadas that have this, like, like Patrice is saying, like our friend Lori is an entomologist and she's told us about these before. Like there are funguses that turn ants into zombies. There are funguses that turn tarantulas into zombies. And the tarantula one is the one they use in that video game. And they say that it makes a jump from tarantulas to humans and it turns, it basically infects humans. And that's where zombies come from right and that's like the apocalypse so um apparently even though there are these these funguses that can infect they specifically evolved for those species right so they are not out to get us if we walk around barefoot in the woods we should we should don't lick your toes be okay don't lick your toes don't lick your toes <laughs> but and i'm save this for the after talk there are simply other parasites that will fuck up our brains and turn us into zombies of oh, other types. Shit. So we can talk about that in the after show. I, I, I've got, got something to do after this podcast. Oh my God. <laughs> I don't know what why I save these things for the after. I'm like, great. So, so pay to hear me talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yes. that is my story. Oh my gosh. That is excellent and terrifying so put the creamy asparagus cicada down mm -hmm. just don't eat it just, no more just, cicada butt plugs for you no yes <laughs> all right we're gonna be right back do you want more strange south every week we can help you can follow us on facebook instagram and twitter and you can join our facebook fan group fans of the strange south podcast to keep the chat going with our whole creepy community do you have a story idea for us or a story of your own to share? Email us at stories at thestrangesouth.com. Plus, if you join our Patreon, you not only help support the podcast, you get an exclusive bonus episode for every show and a discount on merch. You can find links to all of these things on our website, thestrangesouth.com, along with photos, links, and show notes from every episode, Strange South t-shirts, mugs, and other goodies. See you there. Lordy, people. If you make this drink, yes, Ooh. this this is not this is not a southern pale. <laughs> Shit, this I is, just made it worse. Ooh. This is it. We're gonna call this the Southern Madam. <laughs> yes, and perfect lead in because again we have a crossover in our line of thinking. No way, and we are creamy cicadas. <laughs> If you want to call it that, um, we're, we, 
I'm speaking about myself in third person. <laughs> not a good sign. We. Today, I'm going to be talking about Norma Wallace, who was the last madam <gasps> of New Orleans. Oh my God. You know what? I looked at that story for this week. I am not even shitting you. Because they wrote a book about it. They you did. read the book. And I read the book. <gasps> Is it amazing? Girl. Ah! I will talk. I'll talk about. I can't wait. So the Southern Belle, and we'll get into uh, this a little bit later on, if if I can lead us succinctly through the story. <laughs> um, say succinctly Succinctly. <laughs> See, I can fucking say succinctly. Oh, I can't great. just, can't say anything else. So don't even ask me that. You're winning. I'm winning because her restaurant, which I cannot pronounce right now, is the uh, Chapel. To Chep- okay, fuck that. Um, anyway, the restaurant that she opened up after she closed her house down in New Orleans created this drink called the Southern Bell to rival oh. the hurricane. Oh, well done. And so this is this was the drink that she mm. invented or her chef invented and that they served there at the restaurant that I'm eventually gonna remember how to pronounce. Oh, lovely. Okay. So, how I got into the story, because she wasn't on my list, she wasn't on my radar or anything, is I was listening to an NPR uh, thing about this guy who ran errands for the last madam of New Orleans, and they had him on NPR talking about it. And when I was like, when they said the last madam, I was like, you know, that sounds a little bit overstated it's like mm-hmm. i'm sure there's probably some more madams there now <laughs> but it's just not like it was it wasn't as open and listening to this book i'm sorry y'all <laughs> oh, all over the, place. the last madam um is actually the book that i read by chris wilts and she um in her book says no she talks about the history of um prostitution and sex work in new orleans especially you know uh how it relates to uh norma uh, wallace and she's you know she says that back you know after the civil war and and we talked about this even like you know through some of the sex works uh podcast uh stories that i've said that it wasn't like banned. Sex work wasn't banned. It was tolerated. Mm-hmm. And I think there, like our tolerance for sex work um, lasted all the way up until maybe like right after World War II. And then they like really like brought the hammer down and like um, trying to control drugs, trying to c- control sex work. Um, it really became like the focus not to tolerate it or not to like keep it in its own little area, but completely abolish it. And Norma like lived through this whole era where it, you know, it was, um, you know, tolerated and it was kept in its own area to even to where they started to like make raids. And mm. um, we'll talk about that a little bit. Surprisingly enough, Norma Wallace and I may go, I mean, I was hoping that the writer of this book, uh, Chris Wiltz, would do this, but she doesn't have a wiki page. Oh, it's which is I find really bizarre because huh. the because everything I mean like yeah, everything <laughs> has characters a, that don't even exist. Have right, wiki the, pages that are right like the author of this long. book has a wiki page, but Norma Wallace does not have a wiki page. 
and really the only thing that I found on her was through like NPR. There were some uh, magazine articles. Times has done um, uh, articles on her. So there's several articles, but um, it's pretty like limited the information out there. Although She's I, so pretty, I, I just looked up the pictures. Uh, and I didn't, you know, I didn't dig deep like in the newspapers because I was so obsessed with this book. And so I got a lot of the um, information from the NPR uh, interview, from the um, from the book itself, and then from a couple of articles that I found. And I'll post links to all of them. But I highly recommend, like, if you're interested in any of, like, New Orleans history, like some of the seedier uh, history, uh, I would highly recommend. Because what Norma did before she died, and this is where Chris... Uh, Wilts pulled her information from she left like hundreds of hours of tapes because she wanted somebody to write her autobiography for her Oh, amazing and she died before that that happened and uh, I don't know the story of how this author got a hold of the tapes but she wrote the book that Norma wanted written about her while she was alive um but it's like, it's really, God, it's so, in, there's so much information. It's so, <laughs> it's such an eye-opening um, tale. But Norma's reign uh, lasted basically from the 1920s all the way through the 60s. So she was really, truly the last. Because I think after this, like in the 70s, uh, New Orleans became more touristy. Like it, it was still kind of, you know, well, New Orleans is always because the underlying corruption mm-hmm. deal, but it became you know less about the residents and more about the tourists. And and that's I think when I was listening to one of the podcasts or when I was listening, um, or reading through uh, some of the interviews and stuff, New Orleans uh, the tourists outnumber now the residents there, and that started to happen I think around the sixties. I mean not the sixties, but the seventies and the eighties. So Norma Wallace was actually named, or her real name was Norma Baton. I'm sure I fucked that up. That sounds right. Okay. Uh, but she was born in 1901 in Mississippi. Her parents, her dad came from a good home, and I think maybe her mom kind of did too. So they didn't come from, like, you know, poverty, but she lived in poverty. Obviously, the relationship didn't work out. Her dad, I think, left pretty pretty early on and her mom kind of wanted to sow her wild oats (laughs) so uh and they were poor and and so for her dad gone and like her mother having to like you know bring home the money and stuff they went to new orleans her mom loved new orleans i think her mom started actually doing sex work to like get money but um then and and again i'm leaving out like whole swaths of information i just kind of want to give you the overview but, um, you know, she had a brother, Elmo, and her mom Elmo. Uh, abandoned both of them pretty early on. And uh, Norma took to uh, sex work as well as in order to, like, support herself and her brother. Mm-hmm. And in 1917, uh, they, like, went up to Memphis. And Memphis is really, I think, where Norma learned the trade. She's, you know, she watched the women. That's one thing about Norma, Norma, that reading this book that you'll find out, she's very attuned. She's incredibly smart. She's very attuned to people and what they do and how they handle themselves and 
and the reactions, you know, that they get. Um, so extremely smart, very much um, quick learner. And she watched these people and she was tired of being poor. And she's basically living on the streets. And her brother was having to steal for food and stuff like that. So, you know, they were living on the streets. Uh, she stayed up in Memphis for a little bit. But then um, she moved back down to New Orleans. And she actually met, like, this bootlegger when she was 15 um, that had the last... All that happened before she was 15? Yeah. Like, she was on the streets, like, probably about 11 or so. Oh, bless. Like, really young. Oh, and um, so she met this bootlegger, and of course, she always lied about her age. She said that she was, you know, 18, 19, um, whatever. And uh, he became like, uh, she took, she never married him. She took his last name Wallace. And so she became Norma Wallace from this point on. And she wanted control. She, you know, she understood that money uh, rules the world. You know, if you're especially, you know, if you're a man, money gives you power and control. And as a woman, uh, she always wanted to have the power and control just like the men do. And so she's like, you know, how can I get this um, without being a man? So she, um, you know, she learned the business in Memphis. She went down to New Orleans. Storyville at this time, which is yeah. New Orleans. uh famous red light district uh which didn't really last that long it lasted from like 1897 to uh 1917 long so, enough to have a serial killer long enough to have a serial killer um so this is where you know things went on in new orleans they you know everybody knew about it uh it wasn't run off people weren't running off it's just you know where stuff happens but it kind of shifted in the 20s and by like 1910 to 1920, uh, it kind of shifted to be called like the Tango Belt. And clubs started opening, dance clubs started opening up. And the tango became like the dirty dancing of our times where <laughs> it was like the forbidden dance and only like hoods and, you know, um, uh, women of ill repute, you know, <laughs> did the tango. So the Tango Belt... Um, became very popular and it was just like the entertainment and all of this was pre-tourist. It was like the residents, the people who were living there uh, became like a bohemian kind of a playground for artists and musicians and, you know, every fantasy that she could want fulfilled kind of deal um, was all in this. And this is the world that Norma uh, was in when she was down there and she was, you know, she was working houses, not so much the street in, anymore. Uh, and it's like the, um, madams of these houses, they took her in and they showed her the ropes. And when she turned 20, she actually went to work, um, in this house for a friend on South, on South Rampart. And there the madam of the house took ill and had to go to the hospital, but she left Norma in charge of the daily goings-on of her business. And so this opportunity, like, it proved to Norma that she could do this work. She was able to handle everything. She was able to handle the rowdy customers, the cops, you know, the girls, everything. And she enjoyed it. She didn't want to be a sex worker. She wanted to be 
the madam. She's like, I'm made for administration. She, exactly. She was. <laughs> she was made for administration. She was made for entertaining. And she was made for power, actually. Um, so she started her own house and started a small um, brothel. And like you said, she was a great manager. She understood people. She understood sex. She understood, you know, uh, what men wanted and was able to, like, make a killing off of selling lust to men. Hmm. She wasn't necessarily a beautiful person. Like, she wasn't, like, a great beauty. But there was, like, her personality carried her forward. And she was always, like, dressed to the nines and, um, you know, was a very strong presence uh, and was magnetizing. People, everybody loved her. And, of course, men just, like, fell over themselves at her feet. She had, like, five husbands. Oh, my God. Well, um, her pictures, I mean, like, you can even see from the old pictures that you can find just a quick search on that I just found. Mm -hmm. It's like how charismatic she comes off just oh, yeah. in the picture. She you know? does. She does. <clears throat> she, um, she definitely, you can see that and feel that in, in the photos of her. Even, like, the older photos of her when she was, like, in her 60s and 70s. So when she started running her own brothel or wanted to start, you know, doing this, she met a boxer who was actually connected with the mafia at the time. And they fell in love and they got married and he opened up a club there and he loaned her money to uh, buy uh, a residence at 1026 Conti Street. But I think they, ca they call it um, Conti. Mm. It's actually how they pronounce it, Conti. Although I would say Conti, Conti, <laughs> okay, ten twenty six Conti Street, and she chose. She didn't want to be the seedy brothel. She didn't want to just get paid. She didn't want you know shabby women. She picked beautiful girls, and she had rules. She wanted her women to be dressed to the nines. They had to have like the latest perfect hairstyle. She they had to have you know matching underwear. Everything was very upscale, um, and that brought in a richer and a more powerful clientele, which brought her credibility and power uh, into her business. And she loved dangerous men, too. She had a thing for Italians. <laughs> um, she, she got involved, like, during her second marriage... I lose track of the marriages and who's married who. <laughs> she did too, I'm sure. She did too. But she got involved with a man named Sam Hunt. And Sam Hunt was actually connected with the Capone uh, group. The Capone. Oh, um, the Cap like Al Capone? Al, Al Capone, sorry. Oh. The, yeah, and they called him Golf Bag Sam because he carried his like machine guns and his golf oh, bags. God. And she, she absolutely fell in love with them. And... He had a very violent um, personality, but it was it was like okay at first, but then he started like he tried to kill her a couple of times. Damn. And the guy that she first like her first bootlegger, um, I want to call him a pimp, but it was the man that she didn't marry but took his last name Wallace. Uh, he actually shot her in the ankle, so Jeez. she was around. She was used to like these tough men. And uh, she loved them. She loved them anyway. You know, uh, they lavished jewelry on her. They gave her the attention. They gave her the excitement that she craved. And the only thing is, is that they wanted a, they wanted 
you know, a sex worker in the bed, but they mm. wanted somebody to cook and clean and raise oh, a God. family. And that was not her. She had no interest in that lifestyle. She Taylor loved the, she was, time. yeah, right. <laughs> she was interested in the, you know, night light, glamorous, exciting side that she built her business, you know, up in around and that was her life that was her focus and she chose that every single time over men so. and how's she gonna have time to do all that shit like yeah. she got like i mean she she's pays managing she, an entire house and she has own. money she pays people to do that stuff for her but again you know sign of the old times the old way of thinking that mm-hmm. you know once married you put away your woman's work or whatever and you take care of the man all i, I keep on thinking of harlots and like the two competing houses and harlots you know there's the one that's I really, really in my scale. yeah yes. and there's was... just the like down to earth other ladies that... right right <clears throat> but the thing about it is she did she took care of her ladies i mean in harlots they both took care of their ladies mm-hmm. right that's true well she, except for you know the the nasty lady that locked virgins in the like bedroom and all right maybe she did but she like <laughs> bought them things so i think she was probably <laughs> she, she bought them things. she was i think uh norma wallace was a combination of both of yeah them. sounds so like she it. was like the upscale but the nurturing caring but will fire your ass if you don't follow her rules mm-hmm. so she was a businesswoman at heart there's a businesswoman with a heart of gold, <laughs> madam, with a heart of gold. They didn't like the word madam. They thought madam, I forgot the word that they used, but boss. They didn't like the, they called landladies. That's what they really? called each other. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. So, you know. When I she, would think madam sounds so, like, distinguished to me. Well, I mean, I understand they, that's not how it was used, but. Right. And, and, yeah. And I think they, they. I think they thought it was like too bougie and it was like what the tourists called them. It's like, we're not, we're not madams. We're landladies. Madame. Right. Madame. She was also, um, you know, when she was at Condi street, she was always coming up with new things. Like she bought the old bed from one of the like famous madams or landladies there in new orleans that had like the mirrors on the top and it was like all like you would think of like you know the old-timey sex workers like lavish bourgeois kind of setup and she bought that from the house um that had closed and she was going to put it in her bedroom and (laughs) she said like it was a little too much so (laughs) she ended up using it on a stage oh and you like you know had girls on it and it became like a centerpiece in a room and about this time like 1920s and such the great depression started you know hit and it like took everybody out but and she's like trying to change things up to keep attracting customers of course you're not really going to lose that many customers especially in the higher echelon because Mm -hmm. they're still the ones with money they're still the ones with power and stuff but she knew how to manipulate lust she knew how to set up you know, stage up these different things. And she started during this time uh, having shows. And she talked one of her girls who didn't want to be much in the trade, but wanted to be like there with Norma to do like, and she was like a, a 
think a dancer, maybe she was an opera singer or something like that, talked her into doing a strip tease. Oh, so she's like a burlesque start. Bur- yeah, oh. so she started the burlesque scene there in New Orleans. That's awesome. And she she credits, like, in her tape, she's like, I was, you know, first to do the strip tease. I'm like, no, she was the first to do the strip tease in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And she set up the shows. And in the book, like, the book is very educational. Uh, <laughs> especially, like, what goes on at some of these shows. Because she's pretty candid about, like, some of the things. And I'll talk about some of the more candid stuff in the after show. Oh! I know, right? Oh, it's Bigfoot all over again. It's Bigfoot all over <laughs> again. But, you know, so she set up these shows. And during the Depression, one thing that started to happen is that New Orleans was starting to have conventions, And this kind of led towards, like, the tourism that would come later. Mm -hmm. But they would have conventions of, like, you know, insurance people and stuff. Or Baptist conventions. (laughs) And she tells a story about a Baptist minister who comes to her house one night. Oh, my God. And one of her girls takes up, you know, the man to her room. And she does, like, in her tapes, she describes, like, what she teaches her girls like this is this is what i expect these are my rules this is how you treat the customers this is what you do first because she runs a clean house there's no um vd in her house it's Mm -hmm. like this is and this is how you check for vd like she goes into how you check for vd oh my god Um, that's amazing yeah which i will share with you maybe Oh my God. I'll, I'll tell Mar- Marlea. I just keep just, I need to know. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just but, keep, remember you talked about the Memphis. Yeah. You talked about Memphis and VD on right. the show. And that was where she like learned how to do. So she yeah, picked up she shit, picked, right? she, she definitely did. So she had a house doctor. And um, so her girls, you know, if anything goes wrong, they don't, they don't have any locks on the doors or they don't lock the doors and they yell for Norma. And so the preacher comes up there uh, to the room with the girl and the girl starts yelling. She's like, no. And she like gets away from him. And, um, and she's like, I'm not touching him. And the girl called for Norma. Norma comes up and she's like, look at his thing. Oh, and, and she was like, get out of my house. And, and so he starts accusing them of giving it to him. She's like, you just walked through the door. I was like, you have had this. So basically he probably had like the clap. Yeah. And, um, Oh my God. And so he, he's like, gets really mad. Um, he's like, I don't know. He's like, I've never been with that process. You know, I'm a blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Yeah. And all this, she's like, well, I don't know where you came from. (laughs) Your wife gave it to you then. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And so he left and then like left really mad and indignant and stuff. Um, you know, I'm a Baptist minister and I've never done this before. So it was y'all that did this to me. And he runs out and then a little bit later, he like sheepishly comes back oh my in God. and he asked her like what he can do about it. Oh. And so she, you know, she gets him to talk to the doctor and says like, you know, I'm sure like take these antibiotics and blah, 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 blah. Oh, that's nice. I hope she charged him for oh, it, though. Oh, you better believe <laughs> she did not suffer fools. And if she had to suffer fools, she got paid well for it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So she knew how to manipulate lust. She knew how to manipulate people. And it made her extremely rich. <laughs> extremely rich. One of the things she talks about in her um, her 
audio logs or uh, that she did is that she would get excited. She's like seven o'clock, even when, even when she wasn't in the life anymore at 7 PM, she would get like really excited because that's when her day like really got rolling. Like she got up at noon every day and would drink coffee, um, which is like breakfast of champions, (laughs) madams, right. And you know, she was excited to work. She loved what she did. And she always like wondered what the night would bring. And so she's had these, uh, in the twenties, she had these floor shows. Um, a lot of them were pretty pornographic in nature and stuff, but people like couples would come to see them, um, specifically. So her clientele changed a little bit from like just men wanting to, you know, be with one of her girls into couples watching this pornographic floor show and the striptease and whatnot. So this kind of established her, um, in a lot of ways with, you know, the cops and the community and stuff, everybody knows what she did. And the cops would like half, like half heartedly try to bust her and stuff during this time. And she always, you know, uh, would, hide everybody and just like open up the doors and <laughs> you know they would inspect and be like okay carry on whatnot blah 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 <laughs> so she had this understanding with them which was great because you know they took care of her and she would take care of them not only would she like help service <laughs> the men <laughs> but things like she helped them catch this uh fbi's most wanted what uh, robber came to like her house and she recognized him so she tipped off the fbi but nobody ever knew that it was her but it was like it could only have been her yeah. that tipped him off she helped them catch murderers so she you know she knew a lot of information because a lot of men like to talk and mm. these you know to her girls and of course they would tell Norma and you know Norma would use that information and would you know have that power um, and that clout with the cops at the time um, because she was helping them out she was letting them have all the credit like when they arrested that guy the top um, FBI most wanted when they arrested the police got all the credit of course Mm -hmm. they're not going to say anything which is fine but she's like you know you got to watch my back now you know you know look the other way and of course you know she had a lot of them on payroll for a really long time and um so she had like this power and this clout and this way of life that was extremely her own she was her own woman she was an entrepreneur um she was great with money and she had pretty much every all the louisiana elected officials in her pocket Uh, and she knew a lot about them because they would visit the judges, the legislature would visit and she kept, um, notes of like any kind of birthmarks, penis size, penis shapes, anything that would intimidate, like only like your wife would know like intimate details about you. So she, she could prove that so, they've so been she there. could prove that they were oh, there. So clever. And she used that but she gave them all nicknames. 
And so only she like knew who the nickname. So she like called him like toothpick or like <laughs> you know, jitterbug or, or, or something, you know, crazy like that. And she was like, she was famous for having these black books and nobody knew like where they were. That was like probably her, that was her insurance. Yeah. And when somebody was thinking that they would just take this low life madam to town or they would shortchange her or they would um, give her bad checks she would bring that little black book with her and she was she would as many times would like call the bank or call you know the person or talk to them and say hey look and she would start listing like out loud for everybody to hear oh about my their private god parts. oh my god and checks would automatically clear <sighs> for some reason she would get paid so she knew the hustle she she was a sharp tack for sure but the book is like i said it's really interesting if you're interested about any kind of like story side or storyville um red light district uh history it's a really good book because it is told from you know a landlady right Mm -hmm. it's told from from her perspective and it talks it goes into the corruption that was happening and it talks about you know the raids that started picking up because you had prohibition and of course she became like a speakeasy so she would sell booze and at this time during prohibition that's when like more booze ran through new orleans like all the rum um would run through new orleans uh, and they didn't really miss a beat but afterwards uh there started becoming like new like superintendents of the police and police captains and everything that really wanted to take her down so the raids started picking up and they would like fucking harass her like Mm. all the time but she always outsmarted them she always had either somebody like she well she did she had people in the police force that would tip her off she had people that she would pay to stand out on the streets just to keep watch of like the comings of goings of folks. And if anything suspicious, she would be the first person to know. So she was always like one step ahead of everybody. Um, when they did raid her, you know, they, she got arrested a lot, but she never went to jail. She always, you know, got out of going to jail. They would, um, sometimes when they'd raid her, they would like take, if she had pornography, like our reels or something from her shows, Uh, They would take those and they would store them like in the basement of the police station or something. And when somebody would have a stag party or they would like go to the basement or whatever, they pull those reels out. And that would be like the guys in the police force in in the um, city, you know, would watch these shows and party. Mm. And uh, at one time, something like this happened and the police chief or the superintendent decided that he was going to bust the people at the stag party who was watching this pornography that they had stole from um, Norma. And it happened to be a bunch of judges and <laughs> legislators and the mayor of New Orleans. Shit. And they came in, the, the new guy came in there with all of the cops who didn't really know the beat yet and the mayor like gave that guy a dressing down like he's like 
because the the chief of police like busted in there and he's like, all right, everybody's oh, arrested, you know, guy. and everybody like you know went out like and ran out because they don't want to be you know caught there and whatever this guy thinks. And the mayor didn't leave and the mayor's assistant didn't leave because he knew the ship that was just going to go down. And he was just like sitting there drinking his sweet tea and just missing to you know watch the show and. He said, like, the mayor, without blinking, batting an eye, turned around and says, I will fire every last fucking one of y'all if you do not leave. That poor police chief is just like, I'm going to be just in New Orleans. And they, I'm going to save the world. I'm going to save the world. He said that when he busted in there, he had, like, <laughs> his his uniform, and it was all crisp and clean, oh, and it had, like, Jesus. a big plume feather hat, you know, in his cap, I oh, guess, which honey. is hard, and had a whip. <laughs> Okay, so he was like all like General Patton going in there, you know, with his whip, listening to like crack and and arrest these judges and legislators and mayor of New Orleans and everything. And dude is like, fuck you, get out, I'm going to fire you. And he said that the guy like cracked the whip and he missed his leg and like hit his face or something. It was like something really like painful happened and the guy just... No. kept a straight face and turned around and left <laughs> oh there's so Poor many guy. there's so many stories like that in there but that that just you know people like that who joined the force that were like were going to crack down on prostitution um they harassed her day and night without warrants and she finally like got tired of it um and she, you know, she would talk to her judge friends or whoever was, you know, and it would stop for a while and then it, it would pick back up. But that was the kind of life she was leaving. So she, you know, she had all this excitement going on, but she was constantly like, so to me, that would just drag me down. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, again, because they would wake her up. She'd be in the bath. It's like, you know, three times a day for days. They would just constantly, God. you know be beaten down on her door and they'd bust her door down and stuff but you know late 1950s she was on top so she was getting older and they said you know sex workers once you hit like 28 you you're pretty much out of of the business you do something else um and she never like once she started once she became a boss excuse me i've been doing it over here it's okay once she became a boss um she never, you know, she chose who she wanted to sleep with and it was never a trick. Uh, she's like, you know, landladies don't do tricks because that just cheapens the whole operation. Mm-hmm. And she she chose, she had a thing for younger men and she wanted that vitality. She wanted, you know, everybody hanging on every, like she soaked that stuff up. Oh, oh. So she's by the late, you know, 50s, she was in her 40s, uh, 50s, yeah, late 40s. And by that time, she had seen like three generations of men come through, you know, her door and everything. And there are some tales. Mm. Let me just, I'm just going to say, I'm gonna, I, I will give you a little bit of this crazy shit that happens. Because she goes into some of the fetishes that... Um, she wasn't a, like, straight one way. She basically, you know, if her girls were willing to do it, then, you know, they did it. Mm-hmm. And she says that there was this one guy from North Carolina that came down. And he was, like, very, like, 
emaciated, like pale looking and stuff. And he, his one, like he came all the way from like North Carolina to New Orleans for her, for her. Um, That's no small trip. It's no small trip, especially back in that day. Cause it'd be like trains and well, it's not horses. <laughs> like it's not that old. It's not the <laughs> olden days, but definitely like trains and cars and stuff and bad roads. But he would come down from New York, uh, North Carolina because he wanted a girl to hit his wing wang <gasps> with a hammer because oh. he, he could not get off unless his wing wang was like <laughs> severely punished. So um, she had to find wow. one of her girls that had the stomach to do this. God. And she found one, like one of the meeker, like smaller, huh. softer, uh, talking one of her uh, girls mm -hmm. uh, took this up. And every time that he came to town, she was like in there with the hammer, <laughs> in there with pins. Hey. And the last thing that he wanted her, like the last time, because eventually Norma was like, no, because he wanted her to cut his balls with razor blades. Oh, wow. And it was such a bloody mess. Oy. And Norma did not like messes that she was like, this is the last time. Even though he paid very well. Well, yeah, I But guess. it was just, it was too much. Wow. But, yes. Wow. This book is an education. I'm just going to tell you. It's <laughs> just, a different like, man, education. A, I, how do you find out that that's what gets you off, I wonder? Like, I... I don't know. Just like one day, one a day. rock accidentally fell on my dick. <laughs> I was like, "Whoa, whoa!" <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, but that's what did it for him. It's anyway. Woo, woo, for sure. Um, let's see. <laughs> I don't know. I was like, "That's hard to follow up on." <laughs> Her, her relationships, they were difficult, but she always dropped the guy. She, like, even when she was married, she would have boyfriends. She would cheat on her husbands. And then whoever, sometimes whoever she cheated with on her husband, then, you know, that's the person that she married next kind of deal. So she was very, she, she lived like a man. Mm -hmm. She lived like a man would in this. And man, like men did in this uh, community of, um, dance halls and bars and um you know music halls and such and and just didn't even think you know didn't think twice about it she you know fell fell in love several several times but she always gave them the boot and she had no trouble in finding men and she had no trouble in finding younger men um, and like I said, she was arrested many times, but she never went to jail until in the 60s. Um, there was a new guy, a new lawyer came into town, uh, Jim Garrison, and he had pretty much an obsessive personality. So if he got like a bee in his bonnet about like something, he would go at it like full force. And it's, he, he was not necessarily, he reminds me of some people today. Mm -hmm. He was not necessarily like a hundred percent truth sayer. It was like his truth. Uh, he dealt a lot with wild <laughs> conspiracies that he oh, thought God. of 
and again went <laughs> after them with reckless abandon of this is what's actually going on mentally unhealthy mentally unhealthy he had like he was really wanting to climb the ladder and wanted to run for district attorney of New Orleans and his platform for doing this was cleaning up Bourbon Street and through like numerous raids um he became just a media sensation uh, for all of this. He's going to clean up this corruption. And actually it was a friend of Norma's uh, recommended to hire him to mm. represent, you know, her brother and one of the girls when they were tried like on marijuana charges. And he did so, but he didn't do him any favors. He didn't do his clients any favors. So if he was representing um, somebody that, uh, he thought had done wrong, even though he may not say it, uh, he wouldn't do a good job at it. He didn't care, but he was also like a pretty big hypocrite because he actually owned like a gay bar and strip clubs there on bourbon street. (laughs) So I'm kind of wondering if he did this in order to set people up in order Mm. to bust them. And that's kind of what happened. He would, he would set people up, um, and then he would bust them. And the last person that he got obsessed about was uh, Norma Wallace. And he is basically the one that brought her down, raided her house, was constantly on her, and arrested her. And she actually did jail time. Oh. And she, when she went in, and he actually, you know, he, he had the warrant. He got her. And I forget what, what he got her on. Act. Oh, oh, I know what it was. So he actually hired new detectives or had new detectives that were on Norma's payroll to come in and solicit the girls. And uh, as soon as they, like, gave the money to Norma and stuff, then they busted down uh, her door, and that's how that they got her. So she was set to go for, like, this big trial, and she had, like, this big-time lawyer, and, like, she had all the judges in her pocket and, and everything, but she couldn't really escape this. And she didn't want the publicity of going to trial because she knew, like, mm-hmm. all the media would be all over it. This was, like, uh, 1963-ish. And so she pled guilty. She's mm-hmm. like, she met with the lawyer, uh, the judge that would oversee. She's like, okay. And she didn't even have her lawyer in the room. She's like, just me and you. Cause he came to her house frequently. She was in his black book. right? Mm-hmm. And they were, I think they were friends actually. Uh, she's like, look, she's like, I will plead guilty. What does that get me? And how can we like keep this quiet and stuff? And so it was, she basically went in there, pled guilty, gave her, I think, three months, but she would only serve six weeks. Mm-hmm. So she went to uh, the New Orleans Women's Jail there, and she said that it was, like, first night she was there, she dreamed that mice were eating her toes, oh, yeah. and she woke up, and there were actually mice ah! there. So she said, like, roaches, she had to fight roaches for her food. She said it was just horrible. There were bed bugs, there were roaches, there were mice. The food was awful. They didn't let the girls out in the sunlight. Mm -hmm. So if you were there for a long time, you, like, were pale. You didn't have vitamin D, vitamin D deficiency, um, and sickly and stuff. So she, Mm. she made friends because she can read people and she knows how to manipulate people. So she actually made friends with the girls there 
and lasted the six weeks and got out. And as soon as she did, she closed down her shop mm. and um, she put her uh, 1026 uh, Conti, Con- Condi, sorry, mm-hmm. Conti Street uh, house up for sale, but nobody would buy it. And she even, she had it like for $50,000 oh. and nobody would buy it. And she, um, but she couldn't really figure out cause she left like all of her stuff in it, you know? Hmm. Uh, and she, she was even staying there when she had it, you know, put up on the market. And she said she could hear people giving tours outside talking about the house of the last madam in new orleans while she was like still living in it mm-hmm. she's like people are walking by like on megaphones like in a tour group talking about my house but nobody's is buying it so for whatever reason nobody bought it and she had it for sale forever forever um but during the 60s she would have she'd been in like her 60s early late 50s early 60s right yeah, 61. So in the 60s, uh, this is where she found her youngest husband. <laughs> and this, this is kind of like, this is fucked up. So when she was in her 40s, she ran into this 15-year-old boy. Oh. Yeah. And she uh, kind of seduced him. She was married to uh, somebody at the time. One of her like longest-running husbands, I think she was married to... Uh, Mac, uh, I forget his name, I didn't write it down, uh, for like 18 years. And during this marriage, she wasn't happy. and But she was never happy in any of her marriages, truly. And so she ran into this 15-year-old boy, and she seduced him. And when, like, she kind of forgot about him, and, you know, some other stuff happened. And she went to jail and all that stuff. But um, she ran into him again when he was, like, 22 years old. And then she reseduced him, basically. <laughs> and he, his name was Wayne Bernard, and he was 39 years her younger. Wow. Um, so gross. That's all I gotta say. It's gross. Gross wow. Norma. Like, but, you know, she had a weakness for young men. Made her a pedophile. I'm gonna mm-hmm. say it. But um, definitely he was the youngest. And when he was 22, he was working the shipyard, making like $40 a week. But he, you know, he would go out with Norma and she like introduced him to her life, her Mm. lifestyle. Um, And it was, you know, she was at her height during this time and then having this young, he's Italian, having this young, brawny Italian like on her arm. um, She would put like. $300, $400 in his pockets like Mm -hmm. a week or, you know, and he was making this measly, you know, shipyard. So he quit his job. Of course. Yeah. Well, as soon as everybody found out, because he didn't really know who she was. He didn't know that she was a madam, that she she ran, you know, a house of ill repute uh, until later on. And then once the guys caught at the shipyard caught wind of it, they were like, Hey, can you get me in there for free? And like, he's like, I can't handle all that. So he quit. And basically just became her arm candy uh, for a really long time. And they were together for like 10 years. So she tried to sell the house. They bought this place, um, Wagaman, in Wagaman, uh, Louisiana. And this is where the restaurant comes into play. So she doesn't necessarily quit the whole prostitution thing, the whole sex work thing. She, uh, Because she can't stop 
you know, she still has girls. She kept like four girls on and she still, you know, housed them. Uh, when they moved to Wagaman, Louisiana, she called them her nieces, you know, <laughs> and this is a smaller town. It's kind of out in the country. And she buys this plantation, or she calls it the um, Chacapatosa. Chacapalo. I tried to look this up. To. Toulouse, yeah, it's like it sounds Greek. It's actually an Indian name, and it's uh, refers to the mighty river. Mm. So it's talking about uh, the Mississippi River. Hmm. And so she buys this place, and she starts like renting girls out again because she can't get away from the lifestyle. And she starts having the deputies come around, saying, "You know, we hear things," and. She's like, no, and she had a couple of close calls, and finally she's like, okay, no, no, I'm out. And so they turned that plantation into a restaurant that served Southern Bells, oh. which was rivals the hurricane from Patton. <laughs> so she's bringing over her Bourbon Street roots <laughs> to this restaurant. And at first she didn't like anybody to know that the restaurant had anything to do with her because she was wanting <clears throat> to be on the up and up, and she didn't want, you know, uh, that clientele and she was serving steaks and it was you know was, you know really good place to eat and she hired like good chefs but nobody would come until finally somebody accidentally found out that she owned the place and then everybody came like mm. all of the people that she knew came over from new orleans to eat here you know at the restaurant and it started doing better um but she was still um if, I think if there was opportunity and if one of her girls was around, she, she was still, you know, being a madam, mm-hmm. right? And so she's married to this way younger man. Or actually, she wasn't married to him, but then they got married. And he's helping her with the restaurant and everything. And he has a wandering eye. He's very much a, a nonchalant, like, whatever comes around like not paying too much attention to anybody's feelings really Mm. and by this time you know norma's in her 60s Mm. although she was claiming she was in her 40s but she was actually (laughs) in her 60s and started getting pretty like possessive and jealous if like he looked at any because her whole thing her whole business her whole lifestyle revolved around youth Mm -hmm. um you know, prostitution is kind of, she was selling youth um, and memories of youth to the older men, right? Uh, she also serviced women, too. Mm. So, uh, and there's a funny tale about that. Uh, but, so she's selling youth, so she's obsessed with youth. She's always been obsessed and vain. She, she was very vain. And, um didn't really you know cheating and all that stuff early on when she was younger didn't you know mean much to her but as she got older especially with this way younger guy she Mm -hmm. got really obsessive about like where his eye wandered and was always worried that he was going to leave her although she told him that he could leave at any time you know she was very non-cavalier about it but then that's kind of not how she acted when he would look at somebody so his eye started wandering even more anytime any of her relatives or anybody that she knew would bring younger women around and they would even look over at wayne she would just go crazy right 
And so this started happening at the restaurant. And so she sold the restaurant. Well, Wayne, you know, was like, what the fuck? You know, he had no say in it. Wayne had no say in anything that she did. She was very much like, I run my life. And if you're with me, I run your life too. <laughs> like when he would get paid, all of his checks went to her. You know, she would keep them, you know, and let him spend money and buy whatever he wanted. But she ran the finances mm -hmm. and was always in control. But, you know, again, he became attracted and he was an attractive Italian man and his eye wandered and um, she kept badgering him about it and just getting really insecure when really I mean she was the one that had it all but again it was age and she would always tell him like I know that I'm a lot older than you if you ever feel the need um, I could understand but undoubtedly she did not understand so she sold the restaurant she bought a place out in Poplarville, Mississippi, um, that was several acres of land for Wayne to build a house and some barns because that's what he wanted to do. But it was literally two miles from the road. Mm. So if you went down a gravel road to their place, it would take you 15 minutes from the mm. main road to their road to get to the house. It was extremely isolated. Uh, isolated which she wanted at the time because she was trying to keep all you know she was trying to keep them to herself mm -hmm. but she was keeping herself away from the life that she loved and, and the people that she was used to being around so it caused a lot of friction and um she ended up like selling it you know they had a row and she sold it and he got like that was his house that he built those are the barns that he built. He was very much attached to that property. And I think that kind of was the straw for him. And he's, he decided like, well, I'm going to take a job. Um, and he gets a job making his own money and he's gone a lot and he meets, you know, new people, new friends, and they have interests that are not like old world bourbon street kind of interests. Cause she introduced him to her lifestyle and that's pretty much you know, everything was her way and he met these other people and had fun with them. Like, you know, they, they were into football, they were into things that he was interested in and it was a different lifestyle. Not necessarily was a better lifestyle, but it was just different and that attracted him because um, he was actually like having fun mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So uh, she said, I'm going to sell it. And so they sold it and she moved to, I think, Bush, Louisiana. But basically she lost like she was getting on up there in her 60s and 70s. She lost her business. She lost her husband because you know he found somebody else and he started sneaking out. Or not even sneaking. He just started not coming home. Mm. And um, she lost her influence because she was away from the city for so long. And you know she, one of the things that really you know was hammered in or, or was um, driven home through all of this is that with age, she felt like she became powerless. Mm -hmm. And I think that was the big thing. She was losing her power over people. And I, I think it was because she was trying to hold tight to something. She was trying to hold tight so much to youth and to this man that represented her youth mm -hmm. that that was really her demise in the end. 
there's a great story about one of the girls that she took in called Rosemary, who was basically a card and she she would kept firing this girl because she kept pissing her off and then she would hire her again because they were so much alike, I think. But Rosemary, you know, stayed in touch with her and, and, you know, would visit her a lot. And she was there at the house uh, in Bush. And her sister-in-law, actually, Elmo, she, you know, hired her, her brother a lot. Uh, and her brother, he, she gave him money. He had his own place down on the quarter. Uh, you know, so she was still tight with her brother. And she was very tight with her sister-in-law, even after her brother died. And uh, one of the last times that, uh, you know, something happened with Wayne and they had like a big fight because he basically said that he was leaving and stuff. So Rosemary and her husband were at Norma's and Norma had like, she's all the time like writing off like things to send to the lawyer. And she like, she handed some jewelry and some money to her and she wrote a bunch of letters and she said, here, take these to my lawyer. And so Rosemary was like, okay, she put him in the purse and she got on the phone with her sister-in-law and she's like, you know, she's like, it's over with Wayne. Um, she's like, things just haven't turned out how, you know, I thought they would. And basically I've, I've lost my youth. I lost my power. Um, she's like, I'm just going to take care of it and, and kill myself. Hmm. And so she shot herself. Uh, while she was on the phone with her sister-in-law, oh. Rosemary comes running in. She didn't kill herself. So she actually kind of blew her, like half of her head off. Oh my and gosh. she was still alive. And she went to the hospital. They tried to do surgery and she ended up dying. Mm. So she ended up being cremated. She wanted to be strewn on the streets of Bourbon Street, uh, the place that she loved the most. There's a lot of worse stuff out there. But her sister-in-law hated Bourbon Street because she had to work uh, her husband's <laughs> joint down there. So she ended up getting her ashes uh, strewn into Lake Pontchartrain. Mm. And that is the story of Norma Wallace. Wow. The Last Madam. And I highly recommend that y'all read this book written by Chris um, Witzel. I love that you Witz did that story. Wiltz? 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 Debbie, sorry. What's the name? Is the, the book's called The Last Madam, the right? Last, the Last Madam, yeah. And I there, love that she did, like, she recorded her own audio logs oh, all that time. Yes, yeah, so if you listen to the NPR, it actually, like, you can hear some of her uh, recording and talking about, you know, the, the different things. And the, the really incredible, like, she, she recorded the corruption that was going on, you know, with the different police and judges and legislature and, and, and all the things, which is like really interesting from like a historic point of view mm -hmm. from New Orleans and everything. God, that's so cool. Wilts. That's her name. Chris Wilts. <laughs> I heard that NPR story way, you know, a, a couple of years ago, I guess was the first mm -hmm. time I heard it. And I just like, i clicked on it and saved it i was like i do this for the podcast sometime so it's one of those that i constantly cycle past like is this the time to do this oh is this the time to do this i'm glad you did it because i was like ah oh, such a good it's cool it's such a good story and there's just it's just so interesting i don't know i find it interesting
You do a lot of sex worker stories, Patrice. I do. That's interesting. Because I, I think they're entrepreneurs. Yeah. I think at the time, I don't think, I know, they are entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. especially, you know, they are taking care of themselves through the means that was pretty much afforded to women. If yeah, like you, the only avenue they had. It, it's the only avenue they had. And either women, you know did very poorly in it and suffered like VD and all the horrible beatings and pimps and, and all that. Um, or they took advantage and rose to power, which I love. That's the stories that I love. I love the, mm-hmm. the women who went in and took advantage and rose to power and used and controlled others through it and not, you know, became um, victims of it. That's what Patrice is doing. She's rising to power. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. I guess it's after talk time. You should it join is. us for the after talk you because should. I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to talk about, but Patrice <laughs> has baldy stories to baldy share. Baldy stories. Well, thank you so much for listening. Thank you. We appreciate you so much. And don't be a stranger. Yup. Bye. Bye. what it was we said at one point we were gonna say something what are we what do we say oh oh let me let you go now <laughs> let me let you go now butter my biscuits but there's two of us there's like so many of us <laughs> <laughs> so many sayings that we're gonna say butter my butt and call me a biscuit <laughs> i just love that one